Uh, good morning. I said good morning. Yeah, the microphone's working, I think. Yeah. We're going to get started right here in a minute. Uh, just uh, wanted to see. Uh, get a show of hands if you made it to the Wednesday night Christmas caroling. Wednesday night Christmas caroling. Yay. We had about 25 or 26 people. Bunch of them up here behind me. Uh, had about 25 or 26 people at that. And uh, if you, uh, so another show of hands, do you regularly go on the ButteCreekBaptistChurch.org website? If you do, wave at me. If you don't, go on the Butte Creek Baptist Church website and look at the last, go to latest sermons. And in, until today's is posted, it will be the latest sermon, uh, will be the program that we did on Wednesday, which was just a big group in here singing Christmas carols. And hey, not bad. I mean, I mean, let's see. I mean, that was so on the back, right my arm, but I mean, you need, if you haven't gone and seen it, you need to go see it because it's some good Christmas caroling. We had a really good time, and we're going to just keep on going this morning, Christmas caroling, and just having fun celebrating Jesus. So let's all stand our feet, and uh, on the count of three, let's say, Praise Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Praise Jesus. Look in your hymnal number 270. 270, Joy to the World. That's where we're going to kick it off this morning. 270 in your hymnal.
Good morning, everyone. Yeah, you may be seated. Both songs will put you in the Christmas spirit, won't they? Yeah. Christmas is only like a week and a half away. Yeah, a week and a half away. That's amazing. Wow. Well, Father in heaven, we do come before you. We want to just praise your name, Lord, and thank you for sacrificing yourself and your amazing, wonderful Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King, our Redeemer, our Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your precious life, your horrific death, your resurrection, which gives us hope of heaven, and your ascension into heaven, and Lord God, we thank you for your intercession to us and for us to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 As we get started with the announcements, I just wanted to look around and say, did you, anyone who had anything to do with uh, preparing food or setting up tables or anything for yesterday's Christmas dinner, can you raise your hand so we can know who you, who you are? I know Sharon and me did some cooking and uh, you know, it was just a fabulous time celebrating Jesus, celebrating our church family, and having an opportunity just to get to know one another. Um, if you're here in the sanctuary, or you're a regular of this church, or maybe you're struggling, you know, to make it uh, on the food with your food bills or whatever, you know, be sure and check with Sharon or Perny before you leave today, and because there's some leftovers from yesterday. And it'd be really easy to make you up a gift pack where you can take home. And, uh, there's no reason to go hungry around Deep Creek Baptist Church. Amen. Yeah, I definitely, definitely want to say thank you to the, all the people that um, had a part of that, from taking the chairs away and bringing the tables in and cooking and decorating and everything. Thank you so much. Hey, real quick, um, if anybody knows where we can put this beautiful baby grand piano. Uh, yes? You want it? Sure, it's done. Okay. Well, okay, well good. So, we, uh, we'll expect a concerto here in the week, okay? If you need help moving it, just let us know. Yeah. We'll get a team together. Um, thank you, that, that's good. So, women's, women's Bible study is on hold. The men's Bible study on Tuesday morning is still going at 10 o'clock, and uh, that's an awesome Bible study, and that's in the book of Romans. Pastor PK teaches that. Uh, other than that, I'm going to, let me see if there's anything else we need to talk about real quick. I'm trying to save time for our, for our message today. Um, if we're going to order, or we've already ordered a portable baptistry. Okay, we're going to set it up with the, where the piano is, was, and uh, it's really a neat deal. And if you, if you want to um, donate to that, uh, just just let us know. Okay. Yeah, just your market check for that. Yeah. Also, thank you everybody for the cards, and there are cards in the file there that still need to be collected. So there's probably a card in there with your name on it. Um, just so you'll know, every year I don't send out any cards because I know I would miss somebody. So I just say, 
Merry Christmas to all of you, okay? Let's continue worship this morning by looking in your hymnal 258. One of my favorites, Go Tell It on the Mountain, 258. And uh, let's just go ahead and uh, remain seated for this one. We'll just sing it together. Thank you. 
Lord, you are the one and only sovereign and supreme God of the universe. And Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of all mankind. And we thank you so much for all of that. We ask that, Lord, you pour out your Holy Spirit on every single person today on the face of the earth, convicting us of our sins and convincing us that the time is short and that Jesus is coming back to bring salvation to those who believe and judgment to those who don't. We'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to give back to you. We just pray that, Lord God, you bless uh, each gift, bless it to your glory and to the benefit of this church and this community, that we might be a light in this community for you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Good morning. Yeah. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Thank you for the word spoken, the word living in Jesus Christ, and the word written in front of us, Lord. We just pray that you'll bless it, Lord. We claim the promises that are contained in it. And we ask you, Lord God, to give us wisdom and discretion, understanding and knowledge as we study your word today. We pray that you'll bless all of the church services everywhere that are speaking your truth by means of your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, I have been trying now for quite some time to uh, get this message out, and today I'm getting it out. I want you to know, okay, you're, you're getting it today. Last week we did touch on some things, and what I want you to know that I'm concentrating on today is the throne of God. All right, the throne of God, it is a magnificent scene, it is a magnificent uh, doctrine, and around the throne is amazing. So let me read to you, first of all, uh, Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to read uh, starting at verse 1. After this I looked... I'll wait till everybody stop talking, okay? After this I looked. If you've got a cell phone, by the way, if you could turn it off, that'd be wonderful. After I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is John speaking. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now we know from last week that this is God the Father because we see God the Son in Jesus Christ in chapter 5 receiving the scroll which is the title deed to the earth. He says this, The one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and carnelian, that's a diamond and a red stone, a rainbow resembling an emerald, that's a green stone, encircled the throne. That speaks of God's um, covenant with the earth and God's covenant with man. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thro thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. We saw these thrones being put in place in Daniel chapter 7. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. These have to be representatives of the church because the crowns of gold, the thrones, and the dressed in white are all addressed in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 in the letters to the churches. From the throne, and I want you to remember these because we're going to see this later, from the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder that's God's voice before the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of God also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal now I gave you a handout a couple weeks ago showing you how the uh, tabernacle and the temple was set up 
When you came into the east gate of the tabernacle, that was the one that was portable and out in the wilderness. The temple was the one that was built in, in Israel and it was a permanent structure that got destroyed twice that will be rebuilt eventually again. You entered in and you would see the book, the, what they call the laver. It's a basin. It's filled with water. It's, it was big and it was where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they went into the holy place and the most holy place. Also to the side there, there was an altar where the sacrifices were done. Alright? And then when they went into the holy place, there was an altar of incense. Incense in the Bible represents the prayers of saints. Okay? So your prayers and my prayers go up as incense to God. And we're going to see uh, incense mentioned several times in the book of Revelation. You go in there and on all the walls, all the curtains, everywhere are these cherubim. These creatures, these living creatures, they're not angels. They are a separate creation of God. They are what the Bible calls living creatures. Now, we are a living creature. Angels are creatures that are living. But we're different from angels, and these cherubim are different from angels and different from humans. I'm going to read something about them in just a second. So then inside this most holy place, there was the lampstand, huge lampstand, with seven, uh, uh, what would you call, arms on. And this represented the church, according to Revelation chapter 1. The lampstands represent the church. Then the lights on the lampstands, or the oil in there that's lit up, represents the Holy Spirit. So the church is supposed to have the Holy Spirit, okay, as a light to the world. Does everybody follow that? Okay, we are supposed to be a light to, the, to a dark world. Then, of course, you have the Ark of the Covenant. That's the last thing. It was a, a chest that was roughly, roughly two by two by four. It was made of acacia wood and then covered with gold. It had two poles that were made of acacia wood, and they were covered with gold. That was for carrying the chest. They were always on there permanently. The covering, or the lid of the chest, was made out of one solid piece of gold with two angels, I shouldn't say angels, cherubim, on top of the chest. They were made with the lid. It was all one piece. That had to be a pretty big piece of gold. Yeah, and heavy. Oh, absolutely. And, and so they hammered this out and decorated it. And we can see in the Old Testament where they called in artisans and people volunteered their time and their, their, the materials to make these things. And so on the top of the lid, there was two cherubim facing each other, looking down with their wings stretched. One was for, represented righteousness, one represented justice. And when they looked down on the throne, which is what the ark represented, that's what the chest represented, was the throne of God. And when they saw the blood sprinkled of the animal, they were satisfied. Righteousness and justice now could let love go out. Are you with me on all that? 
God's righteousness and justice has to be satisfied before his love can go out. And righteousness and justice was satisfied at the, uh, with the life and the death of Jesus Christ. The animals could not satisfy. The animals' blood could not satisfy. They were just a picture. Just a picture. And the temple and the tabernacle and its furnishings were a picture of what is in heaven. And we see here John being drawn up into heaven now, and he sees this throne with God the Father sitting on it, lightning, peals of thunder, a magnificent picture. God is light. There is no darkness in him. It says in Timothy that God lives in unapproachable light. The light of God is unapproachable. And when it shines through the diamonds and the, the rubies and all of these precious stones, the picture has got to be absolutely magnificent, like nothing you and I have ever seen. So we go back to Revelation chapter 4, and we find out about these living creatures, these cherubim. It says here, uh, and, and also the sea of glass that we saw in verse 6, that repre that's represented by the laver, or the basin, in the temple where the priests wash their hands and feet. You can't come to God unless you're pure. Now, so how do we accept God in the beginning? Well, God's grace, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, God's grace imputes His righteousness to us so that when we come before God, He looks at us and we're pure in His eyes. Now, even though we sin, God still continues to impute His righteousness and justice to us. You see, Jesus Christ satisfied the righteousness and justice of God on the cross. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. It's done. There's no more offering that needs to be had. It says here in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 6 in the middle, it says, In the center around the throne, now remember we have got the 24 elders on 24 thrones also, were four living creatures. Now this word in the Greek and the word in the Hebrew or Aramaic is not the same word used for uh, angels. Angels are messengers. Okay? These uh, guys are not messengers. They're something else. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes so they saw everything in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, king of the wild beasts. The second was like an ox, king of the tamed beasts. The third has the face of a man, God's pinnacle of creation. The fourth was like a flying eagle, the king of the air. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, now remember this, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne 
and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, or sing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So God the Father here is shown as the creator. And when we look at the four living creatures, which are a creation of God, they represent the best of all of God's creation. The animals, wild and tamed, the birds of the air, the great eagles, and mankind who is the pinnacle, again, of God's creation. So these living creatures, these cherubim, are very, very important. There's over a hundred verses dedicated in the Bible just to them. Now, where are they first mentioned? Well, I'm glad you asked. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24 is where they're first mentioned. Let me read it to you, okay? So Adam and Eve were tempted and they've sinned. And now God has to drive them from the Garden of Eden because the tree of life is in the Garden. And if they eat of the tree of life after having sinned, their sin will be perpetuated forever. They will never be able to get out of that sin. There will be no redemption for them. So God's got to drive them out of the Garden of Eden. And here's what it says. After he, that would be God, drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, this is very interesting because Jesus Christ is going to come through the eastern gate to the temple when he comes back. Not only that, but the temple and the tabernacle, you entered through the east. So the Garden of Eden was entered through the east. He says, after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That's so that they could not go back. They could not eat of the tree of life. Well, where do we go from here? Go to Exodus chapter 24 with me, if you will. Genesis, Exodus. Now, for those of you who are taking notes, um, I'll try to I'll try to be as reasonably slow as I can, but I, I've got 240 scriptures to get through today. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, only 100. So let's go to Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter 24. I'll wait till you get there, okay? Exodus 24. <clears throat> now, in Exodus, previous to chapter 24, the Jews have been saved from their captivity in Egypt. They've gone through the desert. They've seen the, all of the trials and everything that they, that they have faced. They're still not in the promised land yet. But God tells them, make me a home so that I can dwell among you. That's what the tabernacle and the temple later on represented. It was a place where God's glory could dwell. So in verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, Then he, that would be God, said to Moses, 
Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, those were the sons of Aaron, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Now go down to verse, uh, let's see, let's go down to verse 2. When Moses went and told the people of all the Lord's words and laws, here's what they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Now we have the luxury of looking back at hindsight, don't we? Mm -hmm. And everything that the Lord had said, they didn't do, right? Yeah, they were very, very disobedient. So go down to verse 9 with me, and here's what it says. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. Doesn't the Bible say that no, no man can see God and live? They saw the glory of God, okay? I mean, that's all, that's what Paul saw when he uh, had his vision. That's what John saw when he had his vision in Revelation. That's what these 70 elders and Moses and, and the two sons of Aaron saw. It says, under his feet, this is God's feet, was something like a pavement made of sapphire. That goes right along with Revelation chapter 4. Clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these elders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Twelve, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Then in verse 15, when Moses went up on the mountain, we, didn't, we just sang, go tell it on the mountain today, didn't we? When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. For the, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now go over to uh, chapter 25 and verse 8. God says this. He says, he, in, in the previous verses, he tells all the materials that he wants Moses to collect. The acacia wood and the gold and the silver and all the rest of it. Then in verse 8 he says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. When Moses went up to the mountain, 
God gave him the Ten Commandments and he showed him the pattern of how he wanted the tabernacle made. The laver, the altar, the candlesticks, the incense, all of it God showed Moses. He gave Moses a blueprint, if you will. And he made it just exactly the way the Lord wanted him to. Now, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 22. Okay? So just turn over a few books. If you can't find it, don't worry about it. 2 Samuel 22, and I'm going to be in verse 7. I'll wait for you to get there. 2 Samuel. There's Exodus, Leviticus, then you got Joshua and Judges, and then you got your two books of Samuel. So this is David. This is David that is singing to the Lord. He has been hassled by his enemies, by King Saul, and he sings to the Lord, and I'll read you the song. It starts in verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, or the power. He's my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men, you will save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Now go down to verse 7. In my distress, I call to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. Where was his temple? It was in heaven. His temple is in heaven. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Why was God angry? Well, he was angry at David's enemies. It says, smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. That goes right along with Revelation chapter 4. Okay? Let's go to another scripture. Let's go to Psalm 104. So just keep, keep going to the back until you hit Psalm 104. And I haven't even given you probably half of the scriptures that I dug up. I'm just, I'm just trying to keep it within our time period so we can get out of here by three. <laughs> Psalm chapter 104, starting in verse 1. It says this, O Lord my God, you are very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. 
He stretches out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his wind, his winds, his messengers, flames of fire, his servants. This is speaking of angels, and this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. I was reading this the other day, and I was thinking about this. Think about this for just a minute, okay? God is light. It says he lives in unapproachable light. Heaven, it's, or hell, excuse me, it says is outer darkness. It's the dark, darkest of the darkness. Why is that? It's because nothing of God is there. God is light, and nothing of light is in hell. What a terrible place to be. Well, let's go to another scripture, if you will. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. So just a couple of books over. Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm going to be in verse 1. Isaiah 6, 1. I'll wait till you get there. Okay, here's what it says, starting in verse 1, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking. Seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Seraphs are very interesting. This may be another name for cherubim. If it isn't, they are very closely tied together. Cherub, or seraphs actually means fiery serpent. Fiery serpent. And you, you want to always distinguish between a serpent and a snake. Okay, Serpents are very interesting, and the Bible is filled with them, and they're not all necessarily bad. Okay, But when Satan became a snake, that was bad. All right. He says this. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, these copper-colored, burning ones, fiery serpents. Each was six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. They were calling to one another. So they talk. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Basically the same thing that the cherubim were saying in Revelation chapter 4. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice, and I love this scripture. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? 
and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me, Isaiah says, send me. That should be our prayer every single day. Well, go with me to Ezekiel, so that's a couple of books over, to the right, Ezekiel chapter 1. I started on this last week, but didn't get to finish it, so we'll finish it today. Ezekiel chapter 1. I'll wait till you get there. This is your Sunday through the Bible. Right? Okay. These are books, honestly, that you and I really need to know better. Because there's just things in these books that will help us to understand who God is, will understand redemption and reconciliation, will help us to understand who Jesus Christ is and the glory of God. Ezekiel chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. And Ezekiel is so specific here. In the 13th year, in the 4th month, on the 5th day. Is that specific enough for you? While I was among the exiles, or the, the slaves, by the Kibar River, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, now he talks in, in, in the third party, talks about himself in the third party, the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River in the land of Babylonians. He was, Ezekiel was taken along with uh, Daniel, etc., as captives by King Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. He says this, I looked, verse 4, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was like that of a man. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet was, were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, they had, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. We saw that before. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had a face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of a lion, or an eagle. Such were their faces. The, these are hard to picture, aren't they? Yeah. I've seen many drawings, and none of them look like what I think these things look like. I think that when we think about these creatures, when we think about angels, when we think about Jesus Christ, words are used in the Bible to give us 
earthly words are used in the Bible to give us a heavenly meaning. We saw in Revelation chapter 5 last week that Jesus Christ has seven horns on his head. He doesn't. Trust me on this, okay? I mean, who would like a guy with seven horns on his head, right? The horns represent power. So what that's saying is that Jesus Christ has perfect and ultimate power, okay? So when we see this saying that they had a face that looked like an eagle, a face that looked like an ox, a face that looked like a lion and a man, I don't think that there's four faces going on here. I think that that's representative of what these creatures are representing, the best of God's creation. Now, or representative of God's creation. It's amazing that human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. That's amazing, isn't it? You and I are the pinnacle of God's creation. Well, we go on. It says this in verse 12. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the Spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals. We've seen this in several scriptures. Of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. You know, we see these Christmas lights that have all these different flashings in it. Well, that's kind of, in a way, what these creatures were like. It says in verse 15, As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. Now, you can go, not now, but you can go to Ezekiel chapter 10, and Ezekiel actually repeats this exact same thing on another occasion. So he sees this exact same thing at another time. He says this, This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparked like chrysolite, that's a yellow and a gold and a green stone, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. That's why I gave you a picture of a gyroscope, because a gyroscope is a wheel intersecting a wheel. And it says here that these four living creatures, they moved without turning. So they moved like this, okay? They didn't turn. They went like that. And if you've ever seen a gyroscope, a gyroscope has perfect balance. As I said to you last week, the space shuttle and airplanes uh, all have gyros gyroscopic navigation. I wish I did. <laughs> Probably fall down a little less, right? Well, let's, let's continue on. Because at the end of this, I'm going to give you something that's, I think, very interesting. It says this. As they moved, this is verse 17, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. The rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. <coughs> when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved, and when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them. 
because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So Ezekiel repeats this. I mean, this must have blown his mind. It just think about what he saw. I, I don't know about you, but I can't picture it. I, I'm having trouble picturing what Ezekiel saw. He says this, spread out above the heads of the living creatures, that's the cherubim, was what looked like an expanse sparking, sparkling like ice and awesome. He's describing God's throne. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out toward one another, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne. A throne of sapphire. That's azure blue. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal. Oh, we've seen that before. As if on fire. And that from there down he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow. Hmm. Where do we see that? In the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now, turn with me, if you will, to Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay? Ezekiel chapter 28. So just down the road a couple blocks. So, I have counted very carefully, I have counted seven cherubim. There's four around the throne, right? You're with me on that? There was at least two, at least two at the entrance to the Garden of Eden, keeping Adam from coming back in. Where's the seventh one? Go to Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 12. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. So this is a dual prophecy. It's a prophecy about the king of Tyre, who was an evil guy. And it's a prophecy of a cherub named Lucifer. Let's read it. <clears throat> Quote, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Satan, or I should say Lucifer, excuse me. Lucifer, the word Lucifer means bearer, light bearer, bearer of light. So Lucifer was a cherubim, a cherub, that was one of the guardians of God's throne. And he saw the glory of God. He saw the lightning and the, 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 the flashes and, and the thunder and everything else, and he was beautiful. God created him beautiful. And somewhere along the line, he decided that he should be God. We'll read it in just a second. Let's go down here. It says this, verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. See, these things had free will. These living creatures. They could speak. They had eyes. They were very visionary. They, they saw everything. They moved, it says. They were around the throne of God. They were very close guardians of God. And in the Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, we see that they're guardians of the tree of life. <clears throat> Through your widespread, widespread trade, you were filled with violence. This widespread trade is very interesting. What it actually means, if you go to the original language, is it means that he was a gossip, a blasphemer, a backbiter, and he went around to the angels, listen, and he said, listen, I can give you a better deal than God can. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, it says he convinced one-third of the angels to go with him. Is that interesting? Let's, let's, let's keep going. So that's his trade. He traded in, in, uh, in rebellion against, against God. It says, you were filled with violence and you sinned. I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. God fired him from his job. And I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Luke chapter 10. He says, so I threw you, see, your heart became proud, verse 17, on account of your beauty. So pride was the very first sin in the universe and it wasn't committed on earth. It was committed in heaven. <clears throat> your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth 
I made a spectacle of you before kings by your many sins and dishonest trade. You have desecrated your sanctuaries. I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. Of course, this is a reference to Satan being thrown into the lake of fire after the thousand years are over. Whew. Turn with me to Isaiah. So go back. Okay, Isaiah chapter 14. And we'll finish up on this. Okay. Isaiah chapter 14. And I'll wait till you get there. So in the Hebrew, Lucifer is translated, O morning star. He says in verse 12, I'm in chapter 14, verse 12. This is God speaking. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, i.e. Luke 10, 18. You who once laid low the nations. Now we're going to see the five I wills of Satan. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I'm going back. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Stars of God here are representative of angels. I'm going to rule angels. I will sit enthroned. I'm going to have a throne. On the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the mount, a sacred mountain, I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule not only from heaven, but I'm going to rule from earth. <coughs> I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I'm going to rule the earth. I will make myself like the Most High. He craves worship. Now, let's recap here real quick, okay? What do we know about the cherubim? We know that they were beautiful, powerful, that they led worship in heaven, that they sang to the Lord God on His throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and who will be. Is it any wonder that people today are led astray by music. Because Satan is a master of music. He's a cherub. And cherubs led worship in heaven. Are you as blown away on this as I am? Because I always thought that Satan was a fallen angel. But nowhere does it say that Satan is an angel. Nowhere does it say that cherubim are angels. It does say in Corinthians that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So he can change himself to look like an angel of light. But Satan is one of the most 
powerful and beautiful creatures. And when he was in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't a snake crawled up in a tree with a tongue flickering out saying, hey, eat the apple. It was a beautiful, melodious, fiery serpent that tempted Eve. She ate. Adam was tempted. He ate. Drove out of the garden and you know the rest of the story. So, back to Revelation chapter 4. What did John see? We'll finish up with this. And next week, well, the next time we're together we'll be in Revelation chapter 5. The, the reason that I gave this to you today is because I want you to get a really good picture of what John saw in Revelation chapter 4, right? After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard, that's Jesus Christ, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, we saw that in Isaiah, we saw that in Ezekiel, we saw that in Samuel. Rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God, and also before the throne was what looked like a sea of glass. Then he describes the four living creatures, and he says in verse, um, the end of verse 8, he says, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen. Satan just got tired of that. He just thought, you know what? I think I should. I think I deserve worship. And that's exactly what he did. And you know what is sad and amazing at the same time? is that there are literally thousands of people on the face of the earth that have worshipped Satan and worship him today. Wow. Well, pray with me, would you? Dear Father in heaven, please forgive me for my sins. Please cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Give me a hunger for your word. I ask for wisdom. And I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. For me, this study, okay, I'll get John up here in a second. This study caused me to really reverence God, to really have a fear, a good fear for the Lord. You know, it says in Job that fear is the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And uh, I don't know about you, but I need all the wisdom I can get.
As, uh, we, as we mentioned earlier, we will have service next week. Next week is Christmas Eve, uh, the 24th. Yep. And, and, we, Eve. and uh, we will have uh, the Christmas Eve service at 11 o'clock next Sunday morning, same as same uh, schedule as we always have. And uh, we have a lot of Christmas music next week. And uh, we'll be here for Pastor PK. He's prepared a special message for next week. And it's just going to be a great time to celebrate Jesus and uh, love on each other. And uh, so make that a part of your schedule for the holiday weekend that's coming up a week from today. And uh, we'll just enjoy that together. And our kids will be singing. Yeah. What's it? Yes, our children will be, our young people will be singing. And uh, it's just going to be a great service. It's going to be a fun service. So next Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And... Uh, we did, like I said earlier, we did Christmas carols on Wednesday night, and if you haven't visited the website, be sure and check that out because uh, it was a it was a good lot of good strong voices. But anyway, so we're going to end with a Christmas carol today. So let's stand our feet. This is kind of a quick one. It's in your hymnal number two hundred and seventy-one. Two hundred and seventy-one in your hymnal. I'm going to have to be right here where I can see the words real good, so I'm going to get my readers on, and uh, we got to do this on Wednesday night, so we kind of got to jump start. Some of us are really, really good at it, right? Yes. We're just going to sing the first verse. Okay, you ready? Okay. goes like this. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of Sunday and we will see you Wednesday night.